0: Thank you very much. It's a a great pleasure to be back with you and I recognize some of your faces and I'm pleased to see there's also some new faces, which is wonderful. Um, We're going to go on a spiritual journey tonight. Um, The journey consists of understanding what the word spirituality really means. We bandy the word around quite freely. But what we probably mean by the contemporary word is not its traditional meaning. I think the word spirituality today means depth of meaning. Um, It includes things like um, caring for the universe, for the ecology, for the environment. Um, It's things like uh, being able to think green in terms of energy. Um, It's practicing compassion in the world. Um, The idea of spirituality includes meditation and various modalities. So the word has a much broader spread than once upon a time almost being akin to religious perception of reality or theology. And I'm going to bridge both. I'm going to show you how Jewish spirituality actually traverses both ends of the spectrum. Then we speak of spirituality in Judaism. The Hebrew word is used that's used is ruchniot, ruchnius, colloquially uh, pronounced, uh, which really means something intangible like air. Um, now, when we speak about something intangible like air, um, it's nothing which we can get our hands on, nothing we can really focus on as such. Um, At the same time, we know that it's something intrinsically important. The Jewish historical pattern, which I began to share with you last time, has a certain focus in terms of growth and evolution. Um, It's almost like a spiritual genetic code which begins at Harasinai and then unfolds and keeps unfolding throughout centuries with more literature. Not literature that is human made, but deriving from the very core. I'm gonna jump ahead to the 19th century. And I'm going to say that in the 19th century, there was an absolute leap in terms of our genetic growth. Not not unlike teenagehood is vis-a-vis childhood. It's a tremendous leap. And that was the leap that began with the Baal Shem Tov who introduced what we today call spiritual Judaism. It's probably better understood as Hasidus or Hasidism, which is the movement that he uh, uh, was able to bring into the world, but it's not something new. It's something that always was, but it was hidden within and needed to unfold in the course of time. So that's a little bit in terms of the background. Now, when I say Hasidus, I mean Jewish spirituality. Ironically, and I won't discuss this now, ironically, the Hasidic movement was split between those who said the world is ready to appreciate profound Hasidism, profound spirituality, and those who said, no, it's still not ready. And the split actually was between Chabad or Lubavitch Hasidism, which was two generations after the Baal Shem Tov, and the rest. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, the original Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Alt Rebbe said, the world is not only ready, but we must introduce spirituality because people are evolving in that direction. Think about it. Two centuries ago, he was two centuries ahead of his time and said we must be ready and here we are in a world which is much more profoundly deep in the way it perceives its reality in two ways in terms of the physical world the material world our understanding of matter our understanding of subatomic matter our understanding of interface of energy and matter and as we explain it the interface between finite measurable energy and the spiritual energy which it interfaces with. That's one arena. And the other arena is not matter as such, but the explosion that took place with the Baal Shem Tov's uh, um, uh, introduction of our understanding of the spiritual nature of matter and fuses the two together. That's what Chabad is. So in a sense, my conclusion conclusion on that introductory discussion is Chabad practicalizes, I should say, spirituality. It's one thing to think of oneself, I'm a spiritual person. I care about the world and I care about the environment, etc. It's another thing to live spiritually, to take the concepts of spirituality, allow them to filter through you so that when your hands move, when your feet move, colloquially speaking, They actually express the spirituality of the world. Let me now shift to the topic at hand, and we'll keep in mind that little preface. The topic at hand is God's name. And you'll say, wow, this is really esoteric stuff he's going to speak about. And yes, there will be esoterica. But as in the Chabad tradition, the esoterica can't remain esoteric. It needs to be brought right down to earth. Firstly, names. The idea of a name. What is a name? Have you ever thought about it? Oh yes, that's something that we call someone by. Did you know that in our teachings, the singular moment when you and I have absolute prophecy clairvoyancy of the biggest nature is when we name our child in the case of a boy at the bris in the case of a girl at the sefer torah when we give the name to the child without our knowing consciously we are actually describing the nature of that soul in ways that we may never know in ways that will never become apparent and no it doesn't mean that everyone with the same name has the same soul there are variations on the theme. The naming of anything is significant. How do we have the names for anything in the world? Do you remember? We only read about it a couple of weeks ago in uh, Shul when we read Parshus Beratius. Adam gives the names to all things. How do he give the name to all things? He was able to perceive the spiritual underpinning that actually constituted the energies that make the thing up as it is when it comes to a thing called a tree in hebrew it's eights he called it an eights not because he knew hebrew but he knew that the shape of the ayin letter and the shape of the tzaddik letter the two letters that make up the word eights and the vibrational quality of those letters that we simulate with our breath as it rises through our larynx, becomes expressed the sound. It becomes then voiced through the five parts of the mouth, of the tongue, the teeth, the palate, the throat, and the teeth. And out comes letters of words and words. He was able to understand the spiritual energy that made up everything and gave it its language. Hebrew, therefore, is not just a language of convenience that evolved, like most other languages. Hebrew describes the nature of reality. So when we talk about God's name, and I'm going to talk about one of God's names, because God has many names. What does that mean? God has many names. And name, as I said before, describes the essence of things. Well, God is everything. So there's many faces that God presents in the world. And each of these faces, so to speak, has a name. And the name I'm going to consider this evening is the name which is spelt Yud and hay and a vav and hay, which is so holy that we don't pronounce it. We sort of uh, say it acrostically Havaya, which is a mispronunciation yud a and avav a Now, these four letters describe one face of God, a very profound face of God. It actually goes to the deeper essence of what God is. The four letters of God's name have manifestations in many things in the world, in many groups of four, which I'll come to shortly. The name of God, however, is the very essence of the forces that create reality, which we call the Sefirot. The Sefirot, which you may have heard of in Kabbalistic uh, discussions, the Sefirot means the 10 basic qualitative elements that make up all reality, spiritual and physical. They have names. Kochma, bina, daas, But we won't go into that kind of a detail. But I will have to describe some elements of it, and I want to do that because I want to look at the shape of the letters of God's name. What's the first letter? The first letter is a yud. You will know that the letter yud is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's akin to a dot. Just a dot in the way that a dot is part and parcel of every line and shape in existence everything's made up of dots so there's a yud element which is the essence of the essence of god that's in everything that's represented in the letter yud the second letter that we're describing here is the letter hey. Those of you who know the shape of Hebrew letters will recognize that the letter Hay already has dimension, breadth, height, stability. It's an expansion of the dot to a house, into a home, into something expansive. So if the dot means the original creative force, the Hay represents the first level of completion of a complete world, the spiritual realms. The first letter, hey, which is, sorry, the second letter, which is the hey, therefore represents the spiritual realms in existence. But this wasn't the purpose of creation. What was the purpose of creation? The very Kabbalistic original work, Sefer HaYetzirah, which has been authored by Abraham, suggests as follows. In other words, that which is first considered in the mind is what is last carried out with our hands. I've, I've not used the original language because it's rather esoteric. In other words, what's foremost in our mind as an intention ultimately becomes realized in its final physical form. For example, you wanted to have your own designed house you have a concept you have a vision of what that should be all about but you call in the architects and that point quintessential vision that you have you try to extrapolate it so that an architect is able to recognize what it is that you're talking about and that is the second letter hey however You don't live in architectural drawings. You need to have the architectural drawings moving to a phase where finally there will be a house, physical house, exactly as you planned. And therefore we come to the third letter, the letter Vav. The letter Vav whose shape is like a hook pointing downwards. In other words, we have to take the architectural drawings and move them down from abstraction on paper into the process of building. You need to have bricklayers, concrete pourers. You've got to have a uh, foreman. You've got to have uh, electricians and uh, everyone involved in the process. That's the letter V. It funnels down the abstract architectural drawing in a manner that will give concreteness eventually. So then you have the final letter, hey. The final letter, hey, is again the same notion of expansion, the idea of shape, the end product, the physical house. So the progression of Yud, original point vision, through to the first hey, being able to convey it as an abstraction to the architect. And then the letter Vav to transform the abstraction on paper as a process of construction. Down, down, meaning more physical, more physical, until ultimately have the letter He. And that letter He is the end product, the physical building. So God's name, Yutke Vavke, actually represents. The process of creation, the ongoing process of creation. Creation didn't take place once upon a time, then God got bored of it and went on to play Scrabble. Creation continues constantly. The process of yut and hay and avav and he continues constantly beneath the surface. You and I don't see it. We only see the process of the last letter he, the physical processes which is down to the subatomic level, as I said earlier. All that is part and parcel of the process. So when I spell out God's name, I'm describing creation in an ongoing manner. Having said that, let me now indicate to you how we, as a body, as a shape, represent God's name because you and i have been created in the image of god now what does that mean creating the image of god it means that even our form our surah as it's called in hebrew our form in some format represents the process of creation otherwise what is the meaning of we are created in the image of god so let's look at ourselves we have head the head is the beginning of consciousness the letter yud it's where things pop into our consciousness pop into our mind pop into our head from somewhere from higher worlds from worlds that are somewhere inside the letter yud and i haven't discussed them and then what do we do we take the initial kernel of thought the spark of thought and we develop it into an idea the second letter hey, dimension, consciousness flow, analysis. This is the second letter hey. But then we need to channel that into a profounder reality down here. So if we're going to say the Yud is somewhere a pinpoint within and the hey is the process of mind, The vav is the translation of that into body, but there has to be a link to the body. And we call the neck the link to the body. The throat, part of the link to the body. And that's why it's a narrow constriction, like the letter vav. And hey, the first hey that I spoke about, which is the second letter, was an expansion, because that was the idea from the original point source of popping into our head. See the progression, point source? expansion as idea and then channel it down into the final hey reality with my body in the physical world and going back to the earlier discussion the physical world is what Hashem desired Hashem does not want mere spirituality if that was the case Hashem wouldn't have gone on and created physicality Since the last thing done is what's foremost in the mind and the last thing of creation is the physical material world, that's what God wants. Likewise with us. When do we get our sense of fulfillment and happiness in life? It doesn't happen when I get the idea. It's when I fulfill the idea in the physical finite world, usually in the area of relationships my relationship with people, my relationship with the animal world, my relationship with the vegetational world, and with the inanimate world. That's the final step. So having discussed these various things, I want to now understand how it is that in a finite physical world, we can see images of God's name in many groups of four, because Yud and Ahe and Avav and Ahe means four dimensions. Four steps in an ongoing creative process. Four steps in the way that we operate as human beings. So you've got many groups of fours as a consequence. For example, the four elements, fire, air, earth, and water. The Chinese have added a few extra ones like uh, 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 metal and wood, but we stick with the original four that we know. Those four are part of God's creation. Fire, air, earth, and water. It doesn't necessarily mean literally fire, air, earth, and water, but that too. But for example, let me ask you, what kind of a person are you? Are you a fire person? Are you an earth person? What's the difference? Intuitively, you can already have a sense. What would a fire person look like? When I say look like, I mean in their characteristics. A fire person becomes animated quickly. A fire person shows their emotions quickly. A fire person might express anger, might express compassion. These are elements of fire. And why it might be anger and not compassion is not because anger is a good product of natural to the person, but that's a poor choice but that's another discussion, why we choose poorly and choose anger rather than compassion. Set that aside. Mm -hmm. But remember, there is a choice to be made there. So that's a fire person where the emotions tend to dominate. What about an earth person? What would an earth person look like? An earth person is sedate. In other words, whereas fire rises, earth and dust comes down. So such a person might be um, someone who is steady, reliable, maybe lazy, sluggish, again, choice, which one you choose to be. So you've got really ideas of what a fire person and an earth person is, and likewise with the other two, and that's not the discussion right now. So you've got these four elements, and they express in all things in existence as well, not just in human beings. Then you've got other groups of fours. Human, I mentioned this, human, animal, vegetational, and inanimate. Each one of the letters of God's name has a profounder input into each of these four. That's why four corresponds with four. All four possess a soul. Don't think that only human beings possess souls. Animals possess soul, nefesh. So does vegetational realm, flowers possess soul. And so do stones possess soul. This is very much part and parcel of Jewish spiritual teachings. Admittedly, they behave differently. Why? If they all possess a soul, what's the variable? Most of the variable is the body. The body of a stone is nowhere near as dexterous, malleable, expressive, as is the body of a flower. The stone doesn't tend to move around. Whereas a flower grows, inclines to the sun, opens and closes petals, etc. In other words, its soul is able to express more than a stone can. An animal has even a more dexterous, malleable body. And therefore, the soul can express even more optimally through an animal, as much greater locomotion, sense of movement, as greater capacity of rudimentary communication. And then we come to the human being. And the human being has the best soul to express sorry best body to express the soul best in sense of fuller expression we have much greater movement capacity and that movement capacity is also augmented by our capacity of communication much more sophisticated and we have a further aspect consciousness of our place in the dimension of time that's what distinguishes a human being we have present, past, and future, but consciousness of present, past, and future. We have hopes, we have aspirations. We have guilt over the past. We have these features which the animal kingdom doesn't have. What are we saying here though? We're saying that there are four levels of existence and each of the four letters of God's name has a profound influence on each of these four. And then there are others I could go on and discuss, like uh, uh, north, south, east, and west, the four directions. I want to add one more element to our discussion here of God's name. And that is, there are other names of God, right? Like Elohim, we again don't pronounce it fully. Instead of the hey, we pronounce it with a k, a a kuf, Elohim. What's that? Why is that name different? than the name yud Because the word Elohim means the way God hides through nature. It's the way that God is hidden and you and I perceive it, perceive Godliness as nature. I mean, when you look at a plant, you and I don't have the eyes to see its intrinsic spiritual flow. We see the beauty of the flower. We can analyze the content of the flower. That's through natural mechanism. It's interesting that if you look at the gematria, which means the arithmetical equivalent of the totality of the letters, where each letter has a value. Aleph has one, Beit is two, Gimel is three, etc. The word elohim adds up to 86. And the word hateva, for nature, means is also 86 now what does it mean god hides in nature i mean that's a turn of phrase so let me be more specific if i were to have in your room a multi-million megawatt light bulb so bright that it would be impossible for you to open your eyes without no use you have a great light, no use can be made of it. So what shall I do? I'm going to put a cover over it. Turn on the, the light, ah, still far too bright. Second cover, no good, still too bright. We don't have a huge surge of power in this uh, light bulb. Until you get to the fourth layer of shading it, It's impossible for you to open your eyes. After the fourth layer of shading, you can open your eyes. What's the irony? That you can't see the light anymore. The shade is so profound that it hides the light. You only get the the most dim glow. That dim glow is what you and I call nature. There are four parallel realms, Arcelos, Bria, Yetsira, and Asiya. You and I exist in the lowest realm of Asiya, which is inclusive of the world of matter, physical dimensions, time and space. At that level, we can open our eyes, consciousness, opening of eyes, but we can only be conscious of nature the natural state of things, van der Waal forces between between molecules, subatomic particles that we smash in these huge tunnels, but they're still physical phenomena, flowers, animals. But we have some intrinsic sense that underlying this lies spirituality. And it's my profound belief that we are entering into the era where humanity is actually becoming much, much more spiritualized, more akin to the things underlying. And that's why we are more concerned about climate, ecology, relationships. Albeit, it's unfortunately with our limitations, it tends to be mixed up and we have gross errors in terms of how we read these things but there's that tendency to want to go deeper and all this comes from the yud and the he and the vav and the he. the process of hiding the light so that you can open your eyes is called simtsum the word simtsum means contraction limitation hashem designed the world exactly so that the godliness is just out of sight, so we have to look for it. God plays hide and seek with us. But for hide and seek to work, there has to be the possibility to find. The famous story about uh, uh, the child who had such a great hiding place that none of the kids could find the child. They gave up, and he comes crying and says, they're not playing the game anymore. God cries when we stop seeking, when we stop playing the game. And that's our quest for meaning in life. And that's what spirituality means in Judaism. It means the quest to look behind, tether, nature, and intuit, for want of a better word, the spirituality, which is the innate beauty that lies underneath everything. That is God's name, Yud-Enehe and Avav-Enehe. So I'm hoping that in the shortness of time, in this uh, very brief presentation, I've given us a little bit of an overview of how something which is as esoteric as God's name manifests itself in the reality of everyone's life. Because if you were to ask, what is the primary motivation of human endeavor? It's to seek meaning behind everything. And that's what we call spirituality. Admittedly, today with a small s. But nevertheless, I think a very, very worthy pursuit. And one which I think that we, who happen to be together in this Zoom room, have a common sense of. That's why we are together. That's why we're listening to this particular presentation that I'm sharing, which is drawn from Chabad Hasidic teachings. I want to segue into a meditation which might provide us with a greater sensitivity to the kind of subject matter that I am sharing with you. And then we'll have a bit of a discussion together. So let me uh, take you through the meditation. I'm not going to reintroduce what meditation is. I did that last week. Um, I'll just add one word perhaps. The difference between jewish meditation and other meditations in terms of modality there is no difference the difference why any meditation becomes part of a spiritual tradition or a medical tradition or a psychological tradition is because there is an intention that has to be realized a goal meditating without a goal is useless it's only a tool you only use a tool because you want to achieve something what's the jewish goals of meditation one health and wellness because the body is the vehicle for the soul we may have the best body so to speak of the four levels of existence of including animal vegetational and inanimate but without that body functional the soul can't operate so health and wellness is one so de-stressing creating inner balance that's a jewish goal then there's another goal insight wisdom the capacity to be able to draw deeper meaning in life and live it so that when you meditate you're actually allowing that teaching to penetrate you and be part of your behavioral expression in everyday life to live a wiser life and be a wiser person. That's the second goal that the meditation might seek from a Jewish vantage point. Okay, having just added that little bit of uh, extra information, uh, let's go into it. Sit wherever you are, symmetrically with your feet resting on the ground and your hands resting on your knees and thighs your back fairly straight without being too rigid and your head well balanced on your shoulders allow your shoulders to slump just a little bit to relax and gently close your eyes and just become aware of your breath, gently entering and exiting. Just follow your breath, observe its path. And if you can, prefer to breathe in and out through your nose. And to help you focus, become aware of the temperature of the air as it enters your nasal passages, compared to the temperature of the air as it leaves your nose. Slightly cooler air entering, warmer air exiting. slow down and deepen the breath and direct the breath down to your abdomen. Expand your abdomen as you breathe in and contract your abdomen as you breathe out. We always do this little exercise as an introduction to any meditation to focus ourselves and to relax ourselves. So just spend a little time breathing in through the nose, down to the lower abdomen, expanding it, collecting the air, and then contracting it, pulling it in to expel the air in and out. Breathing in for a count of three, holding for a count of three and breathing out for a count of four. Slow, deep breath in, two, three, hold, two, three, Out two, three, four. Continue breathing rhythmically, smoothly, gracefully. Breathing is an art. And like last week, imagine a point source of light in the head, in the middle of your brain, a source of light. It's pleasant, it's warming, but it's a mere point, not too bright not too hot. That point source is the letter Yud of God's name. The point source that creates consciousness from subconsciousness. The point source that is the end of the spiritual umbilical cord beyond your head that flows godliness into your body. Just be aware of that point of light within in your brain And now allow that source of light to strengthen so that it begins to light up your whole head and face. The point of creative consciousness now gives rise to an idea, a concept. Allow your whole head and face to be the second letter He of God's name. Expanding on that point source, the Yud, giving it breadth, height, depth. analysis, concept, idea. Strengthen the point source of light comfortably so that it begins to flow downwards through your neck and throat, the letter Vav, the hook that hooks the concept and idea into a wish to act on it. Feel the flow of creativity flowing down into your torso the final letter, hey, represented by your limbs, figuratively your legs, feet, arms and hands, those things that express the fulfillment of your wishes by doing it. Allow the point source of light in your head to strengthen so that the light flows down into your limbs, your thighs, legs, feet, toes. Now through your shoulders arms, hands, fingers. The final letter, He. To actively manifest the original point source of Yud that became an idea, a concept, He, which flowed down through the letter vav into your full body, again the letter hey, And allow that sequence to be well embedded so that you recognize everything that you do in life is a pathway for your higher self to express in the so-called real world, the physical world, which is really the extension of all the spiritual realms. You are an image of God. Focus again on your breath, gently breathing in through your nose and out through your nose. Begin moving your fingers and your toes, wherever you're seated, move your fingers now, move your toes. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes, coming all the way back into our session right here. Okay. Wakey, wakey. Okay. (laughs) It wasn't very different, a piece of imagery, visualization from last week, but it had another layer. And that's what meditative practice does. It keeps refining and adding layers of greater depth and meaning. That's very, very much part of Chabad mode of meditation, which is called izboinenos. All right, we've covered uh, a fair amount of concepts and ideas today and a little exercise. It's time for us to have a chat to each other. So Rabbi, take it away and let's see if there's dialogue that we can now take place in.
1: Incredible, incredible. Thank you, Rabbi Wolf, again, for the, for just a powerful concept and meditation. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's open it up for some Q&A discussions. Um, anybody? Uh, yes, Ruby, go ahead.
2: First of all, thank you very much, Rabbi wolf It's very relaxing, very special. Um,
0: Good. Pleasure.
2: I thought, though, that the image of God is not... He doesn't have any image. He doesn't have any corporal... uh doesn't have an image like we have. He does, he's not bound by that. Um, but what you were saying is maybe you have to define it better for me. You were saying that the light and the name represents this light within us. That's not necessarily, of course, his image, because it's one of the foundations that we know that it's not, he doesn't have an image. We, we, I thought what I thought in his image means we should be kind and, and accepting and, uh, you know, all of the positive things that Hashem, loving that Hashem is. Could
0: you just explain that a little bit with the whole idea of the image of God? Yes, sure. The very fact that the Torah uses words of description and says the word salminu, our image, means, as Rashi explains, that Hashem speaks in the language of the human being, means we're allowed to talk about God. Now, That is itself a huge uh, uh, leap because ultimately, as you are alluding to, we can't speak about God. God is infinite, we're finite. Any words we use are limitations and therefore inaccurate. And this was the question that was actually uh, uh, posed, if you will, to Rambam, Maimonides, um, and the great Kabbalists of the 17th and 18th century agreed with Rambam's answer that we can utilize words and descriptions, but only to the extent that we speak about God at certain levels. I'm going to use now a a, a Kabbalistic uh, uh, term, up to the world of Atsilos, but beyond the world of Atsilos, there are no words that we can talk about God. Now, that might be a little bit of uh, uh, playing with words, but it's not. What it's telling us is we are allowed to use words as long as we recognize their limitations. Now, one way in which we can describe God is through God's qualities, which is what you're just talking about. God is kind. God is generous. God is infinite. Uh, God is everything. Whatever might be the case in terms of qualities. But that's not the sole description. There are abstractions that we can attribute to god also by way of as in kabbalah does levels and uh, uh, different manifestations of godliness in those levels and to the extent that kabbalah even portrays a human imagery to the sufi dots but cautions us that this is not a statement of reality This is a pedagogical tool only to assist us in our understanding. To that extent, we're allowed to even use imagery in order to be able to understand godliness. As long as the limitation is there, we recognize we are not describing, ultimately, the reality of godliness. That's impossible. But there's some meaning to the imagery of God in the Svirat and our physical form, our surat. So, for example, the prayer we say on Friday night in the Hasidic world, Patach Eliyahu, describes what each of the limbs of the body are in representation of God's qualities. So there is this use of imagery that's legitimate to help us understand and be a bridge to our understanding of something that's infinite.
2: Thank
0: you very much. Thank you.
1: Good, Ruby. Excellent. Great question. It reminds me of the story where Mother walks in the... The kid's room, and the child is the little girl is drawing a picture, and she says, "What are you drawing a picture of?" And the child says, "Picture of God." The mother says, "No one knows what God looks like," and the child says, "Yeah, because I'm not done with the picture yet." <laughs> I digress. But I digress. Um, all right, more um, questions, comments. I saw somebody else wanted to. It seemed like somebody else wanted to ask or say something before. I'm scanning. Any any questions? Yeah, Uriel, go ahead. Wait, hold on. I'm. Uh, please unmute yourself. Mute.
3: Okay. So I don't have a question, but I just wanted to say that uh, that Rabbi Wolf's voice is so melodic and so incredible, and along with that amazing accent that you have. Um, it's just so enchanting and I just loved every minute of it, um, as I did last week. And, um, I, uh, I hope you will stay in touch as far as, you know, whatever you're going to be doing. Um, you had mentioned something about doing a recurring, uh, short meditation and I would love to be part of that. I did email you to that effect. So um, I just wanted to know
0: how much I am enjoying this. Thank you. Um, That's very kind of you. None of it is uh, um, of my making. Um, (laughs) These are attributes that uh, um, I was blessed with um, and I keep working at it because uh, mastery is everything. Um, I did put down in the chat my email address which as last week allows you to um, contact me. So if you want to receive daily meditations, short ones of about two, three minutes, just email me your uh, cell number because it comes on a WhatsApp. So yep. M- Muriel, did you res- are you receiving as yet?
3: I have not received it yet. No, I, I, I'll send it to you again, but yeah. Please, I did.
0: okay. And okay. anyone else, say that again?
2: Have you sent them out yet? Because I got an email in response to my email saying that you received it. Um, it was okay,
0: but you haven't. It, it takes about a week before it to get onto the uh, uh, list and actually be activated. So it should be happening at any time, God willing. If it doesn't, let me know.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Okay, sure. And I also put uh, there the name of my book if you'd like to read something further in context of the kind of things we spoke about. Any other questions or thoughts?
3: My brain hurts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, we've exercised our brain. We're not used to that, are we? Okay, (laughs) but uh, slowly, step by step, step by step. uh, The Rebbe was very fond of saying that whatever information you gain, when you come to a, 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 a friend with the Rebbe, you need to unpack. You need to be able to take it away and then slowly unpack and put it into the right drawers. So go away from here, the whatever chassidus you learned and unpack it over time. Thank you. Rabbi, Rabbi uh, so we, we email you uh, at this address, uh, at uh, laborwolf.com. and then yes, we, we, give,
1: we, give, we, we give you
0: what and then you respond with this daily meditation. We give you, you a phone number. Cell it? number, cell number. Your phone number.
2: It's going to be on WhatsApp. What did you say?
0: Is that? this WhatsApp or it comes directly to our phone? So WhatsApp. It comes okay. to WhatsApp. Thank you. And this is a daily meditation? Six days out of seven. Shabbos, oh, yeah. I you a day of rest. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Good enough. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it, uh, I'm not as technologically minded whether you have to actually put. Um, anything into your WhatsApp list in order to receive it once you are receiving it or not. I think um, does
2: anybody know the answer to that? I
0: think, I think if
1: you get a message from someone that's not in your contacts, it asks you if, if it's legit. And then if you approve right. it, it'll come through. Yeah. So all you have to do is, um, don't, if you don't recognize it right away, give it a chance. It might be Rabbi Wolf. So don't, uh,
0: don't, don't, uh, it might come. Uh, it might come as the word "spirit grow." It might come through the word as "reception." at spirit grow or something like that.
2: Okay.
0: If you see a meditation from uh, from from an
1: Australian cabalist, you probably can figure out who it is. Timing is everything, right? Okay. Um, it, it always Rabbi it always Wolf, comes
0: with an image.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Rabbi Wolf, if I I I, I want to ask because you mentioned. Uh, the, the Rebbe and Fabrangans, and I and I and I I recall you saying um, I don't remember the full story, but I I know that you were in consultation with the Rebbe. I think I want to say maybe in the '70s when the Rebbe was encouraging the practice of meditation in Jewish circles. Can you give us like a very quick version of that? And maybe I'm misremembering, but I think there was something that you uh, worked back then on. Is that is that correct?
0: Yes, I was. Uh, um Never personally very involved with uh, meditation as such, but then when the Rebbe gave his uh, very celebrated public address on meditation, which was in the 70s, and the Rebbe said that uh, whereas most rabbis had forbidden the practice of meditation, in those days because most of it was eastern meditation and included much of what is called avaida zora idol worship aspects so most rabbis forbade it the Rebbe came out with a very bold public position that we should actually practice meditation if it's going to help us by taking the good elements that exist in the modalities and to be able to make sure that they are removed, that from them are removed any aspects of of Avaidazora. So the modalities he was keen for us to utilize if they were to be of personal assistance. And soon after um, that particular um, discourse, a good number of medicos began to utilize relaxation response techniques as Dr. Herbert Benson uh, initiated. At that stage, um, I also, uh, having listened to the Rebbe, I wrote to the Rebbe and asked whether I could utilise, and I described a number of techniques that I had researched and seen utilised in meditative worlds of the East, by stripping them of their Eastern uh, overtures and allowing the basis to be there and to alloy them as part of his boneness. And the Rebbe was very, very keen that I do so and wrote to me in that fashion. And from then on, I evolved and developed different meditational uh, formats that uh, I've been sharing ever since.
1: Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of the, uh, of, of the history. So I, I just want everyone to know that Rabbi Wolf is uh, indeed a pioneer within the Jewish practice of meditation and Kabbalistic meditation, Hasidic meditation. Um, very, very profound. Um, again, I highly recommend Rabbi Wolf's book, Practical Kabbalah. I recommend Rabbi Wolf's Facebook page and the WhatsApp group. So please get in touch. And Rabbi, if you're up, up, if you're up to it, I'd love to explore an upcoming opportunity. Um, it sounds like the energy I'm getting is that folks may be interested. Possibly, I'm kidding. It seems like there's a lot of positive interest. So if you're up to it, I think we uh, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd love to do this on our end. Mm-hmm. It will
0: be my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, yeah. It's wonderful to be together with you. And hopefully as we continue our journey together and independently of each other, what we will do is be contributing to the wonderful fission moment when Mashiach Tzitkenu will lead us to Jerusalem.
1: Amen. Amen.